Welcome to La Cura Podcast. I'm your host, Francisca Porchas Coronado. La Cura will take you on a journey at the intersection of health, healing, and social justice. We will engage in conversations about decolonizing our health and reclaiming traditional ways of well-being and healing. We will explore and honor our multiple identities, cultures, traditions, and remedios. This offering is brought to you by Mi Gente, a political home of Latinx and Chicanx people that is pro-Black, pro-woman, pro-poor, pro-queer, because our communities are all that and more. Hello, everybody. I'm really happy to have Neelam Pathakonda here today with us. And let me tell you a little bit more about Neelam. She's a family medicine osteopathic physician with a public health background working in South Los Angeles. She comes to the work of medicine from a community organizer perspective, having worked in grassroots community organization for 10 years prior to medical school. She is a practicing Buddhist meditator for the past 20 years and has taught meditation in various contexts. She seeks to practice a more integrative medicine and brings the best of Eastern and Western medicine together. She's also the mother of two young children, her most important job. Welcome, Neelam. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so I was excited, am excited to talk to you today. Um, as we're kicking off the season, the big news obviously is the pandemic every day, all day. <laughs> But um, another piece of big news, obviously, on a daily basis uh, is the vaccine. And I was reading that there's a large percentage of people that still uh, are very unsure on whether they will get vaccinated. So I have a lot of questions as well, even though I am definitely on the side of getting vaccinated. I've gone back and forth. And I think it actually came down to this moment of desperation of wanting my mom to get vaccinated when the vaccine became available in Arizona, that I realized, oh, I want this to happen, right? Because I was kind of uh, back and forth a bit. And also when I got COVID, which I'll tell you more about later. <laughs> but I wanted to have this conversation with you because um, one, not to have everybody listening to us be convinced that they need to take the vaccine. This isn't like an organizing episode. Uh, I respect your views, wh whoever you are out there listening to us. But I also think we need to make very informed decisions, including myself, right? Um, there's still questions that I have and who better than an expert to come and tell us a bit more, um, even with all obviously critiques that we might have about the medical industrial comp complex and, you know, Western medicine and, you know, all the complications of that. I think that the facts are the facts and we still need to be really informed. And so I'm super excited to have this conversation with you, Neelam, and, and grateful that, yeah, that you're open to having it. Neelam sent me a really extensive, amazing document that um, you, you have been putting together, Neelam, for a while um, on just the vaccine and all kinds of really important information. So um, I read a bit about what you said about what is a vaccine and how um, how does it work? And then you had mentioned how it's sort of a natural process. So some of us might not even be that aware, obviously, beyond the you know, a vaccine is what prevents you from getting things like polio and measles. And so can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
A vaccine inserts a little piece of the virus, which we'll call an antigen, into our body, which gives our immune system a heads up about what it could encounter in the future and basically buys us some time. So we allow ourselves time to prepare and ready our defenses. When we see that um, piece of protein or that virus in the future, we basically have all of our army built. We know exactly what to do and our immune system just is able to smash really hard and not have that virus take over our body. So that's why viruses, that's why vaccines are so effective. Um, This particular vaccination is inserting mRNA, which is a nucleic acid and tells our cells to build a protein that we see on the outer edges of the COVID molecule. So our immune system sees this little protein, recognizes it as something it needs to fight against, builds up all the defenses, and is ready if you were to ever encounter COVID out in the world. And the reason I say these that vaccines are natural because it's really using our innate and natural power of our immune systems. We have these wonderful, incredible, complex, nuanced immune systems that are built so that we can kind of walk through the world with all these germs and bacteria and viruses that might not be so friendly to us and do the job of deciding, are you friendly? Are you not? Let's get rid of you if you're not. So it's using this natural system that we've already created to really give, um, to really give our time, ourselves time to prepare so we're not so floored when we encounter an absolutely novel and new uh, virus like COVID-19 out in the world. There's all these accounts from the 1500s in China and India of using Mm. vaccinations, even before Western medicine knew that germs were the one causing disease. You can see um, reports that emperors who survived smallpox in particular as children realized, hey, I'm not getting smallpox as an adult because I had it as a child. So they would, emperors in China would have their children inoculated. They would just grind up these smallpox scabs and blow the matter into their nostrils, or they would scratch Mm. the matter from a smallpox sore into the skin. Regardless of how they did it, they found that it worked. And so, uh, so these vaccines have been around for a long time, sometimes even as early as 200 BC. We think about this as modern medicine, but it's not, it's not true. Actually, we've been using vaccines for a long time. We just didn't call it that. How efficacious do you think they are? The COVID vaccination, I know some people think, oh my gosh, it was rushed. It was developed so quickly, but it was actually been around the technology for 10 or 15 years. And it's just been waiting for a pandemic like this to be able to put into practice It was a technology that was developed under the Obama administration in part by an African-American woman. And they they never really got a chance to put it out into practice because we've never had this level of pandemic. So now is the the chance, and they've done a lot of research. There's a lot of people writing um, on this and making sure just there's a lot of people that that, um, have a vested interest in making sure that this is safe um, and effective. We would have been happy, the public health community would have been happy for a vaccine that was 80% effective in preventing you from getting COVID. Both of the ones that are approved by the FDA right now are 94 and 95% effective in preventing you from getting COVID. 
this would mean, I mean, these are shockingly high statistics. We just never thought that we would get a vaccine this effective. This basically means that after getting the two vaccinations, you would be more likely to be struck by lightning than getting COVID. That's, it's just incredibly effective at preventing COVID. What would that 5%, like, why would it not be effective that 5%? Is there something in the condition of the person or? So the way that they decide this percentage number has everything to do with just who get, who got COVID while they were vaccinated. And it was 5% of who they tested got COVID while, while they were vaccinated. It it's hard to tell, you know, what that person might have been doing because it wasn't a lot of people who got COVID while they were vaccinated. So it's hard to tell what, what might be going on in their immune system. Perhaps they didn't launch as big of an antibody response, you know, the spot response of the immune system that we're hoping for, for whatever reason. It's hard to know. It really is hard to know. And we're going to we're going to know more as we go on in time about um you know, how effective these vaccinations are in real life situations, um, especially with the different kinds of mutations that COVID could encounter. So there's a lot, there is a lot of unknowns, but even in these initial trials, getting something like 94 and 95% protective against, um, against a virus is, it's like one of our most successful vaccines that we've ever uh designed as in modern science. Another big question that's coming up is what are the, yeah, what are the side effects? Um, I think that is honestly, from what I've heard people close to me, right? I don't, most of the people around me are people of color, um, most people are not even, some of them are not even in movement. I've been shocked that folks like my mother-in-law uh, and my father-in-law are like, we don't know. Um, we don't know about side effects. It hasn't been around that long. And I think you just answered the question that like it's actually has been around. The technology has been and uh, that really set the foundation for it to be developed. And so what are the side effects that we can look out for? So we did a lot of safety trials. Um, there's about 70,000 participants from across the globe with differing ages, races, chronic disease. And um, most vaccine side effects occur within two or three months. When we, we've got a lot of tracking on vaccine side effects because it has, you know, so much attention is uh, for, for the right reasons. There's a lot of attention about vaccine side effects. So we do definitely want to make sure that they're safe. One of the side effects of this vaccine is um, just what you would expect. So fatigue, um, perhaps you'd get a sore arm, maybe you feel a little bit under the weather. And that's generally what people are saying. Um, fatigue, sore arm, and a little bit of muscle aches. Uh, there um some people are having an anaphylactic reaction, which means that they're allergic to something in the vaccine. And so we're asking people who have ever had an anaphylactic reaction in the past to really be careful about this vaccine. But everybody else, there is not one serious side effect from this vaccine. There's no eggs, there's no thimerosal, there's no preservatives, there's no latex. You can go online and see exactly what's in the vaccine. 
Um, and so they, so it's really, they were really paying attention to anything that might cause side effects and trying to take it out as much as possible, which is why these vaccines have to be in cold storage. There's not a lot of preservatives. The messenger RNA that they're using is very, can be unstable at room temperature, but basically instead of putting a lot of preservatives in, they decided let's just put it in cold storage. Let's use it very quickly after it's out of storage so that we don't have to rely on things that might cause a reaction later or that um, the community or the public might be worried about. So the side effects are real. There are side effects, but they're so different than getting COVID. So some people have told me, well, if I'm going to get sick from this vaccination, why would I do that? I might as well just go get COVID. And perhaps, Francisca, you can talk about your experience having COVID. It is entirely different. I cannot stress this enough. You are at home from a vaccination side effect. Maybe you feel a little bit fatigued. You don't have to quarantine for one. You don't have to worry that you might end up in the hospital and and get really sick and end up on a ventilator or perhaps die. You don't have to worry that you might have symptoms six months from now or a year from now or what's called long COVID where you have these symptoms for a very, very long time and have um, side effects from COVID that last for we don't even know, but some people are, you know, a year later having, you know, the same kind of fatigue or brain fog. That's, you don't have to worry about that with the vaccine. You really have to differentiate between side effects from the vaccine, symptoms from the virus, which are entirely two different things. That distinction you made is important around allergy versus side effect, because there has been on the news, people have died People have had horrible reactions, and I think it's important to distinguish between having an, I think you said anaphylactic, (laughs) I hope I got that word right, reaction, which is allergy to something, I'm not really sure, maybe you can explain, but, and also side effects, which are two different things. Yes, I had COVID, it really sucked. I am very lucky that I am here and that all is well. Um, I was the most scared for my partner who had um, pretty chronic asthma as a child and it kind of went away when he was like 15 or so. Um, and so I always got, I was always scared about if he ever got it, that his lungs would be, you know, impacted a lot and that that would be like his Achilles heel. (laughs) He had also, I would say a quote unquote mild case, even though the, the symptoms were still sucked, like his lungs were under capacity for a good month. Um, he would get taxed. He, um, had a lot of fevers, so like his symptoms were more severe than mine. I think I, you know, got these horrible headaches, and I honestly felt some days that if I like shook my head a bit, like my brain was gonna rattle up in there. And I did have some serious anxiety, you know, moments <laughs> that were very intense um, because I kept thinking about long-term side effects, long-term side effects. And reading on them, which is a bad idea. Don't don't go on WebMD or Google because I mean, we know this, right? But it was just obsessive. And um, I did have very low moments and, and a lot of fear. And obviously after this, I want to get every scan possible out there of my body for like blood clots and all kinds of things. And so um, when this vaccine became available in Arizona, um, you know, I was on the fence, on the fence, on the fence, even after having COVID. And then 
I just had a moment of like, oh, I really want my mom to get it because that's when I realized, oh, I think I want this vaccine if I want my mom to get it. And and the side effects of COVID, um, I think, scare me more than the vaccine itself. So I think that really boils down to that, you know, if you really want to know what I think. shift us a bit um, and talk a little bit about some of the things that are that folks are saying that really concerns them. And I really want to honor, I think, people's worries. There's a lot of reasons to not trust, you know, the government. There's a lot of reasons to not trust Western medicine for, you know, all the reasons that I think people know um, historically how our communities have been treated. But I also think that, again, uh, information education is is empowering and we need to know what's up. And so some rapid fire questions for you, which I know could be like really long conversations and as the kind of thing I'd love to geek out, out on. But these are some statements and I'd love to kind of for you to respond to them. Right. So one is I don't trust the government. Yeah, I get it. I, I do. I do get it. I what I would say to that is this that this vaccine was developed with government funding, but not by the government that these were public private partnerships with companies that have a vested interest in not getting this wrong. So while Trump is definitely not to be trusted, the scientists conducting these vaccine trials did not report to him, they didn't speed up data to sway the election. Um, there is I do understand why particularly communities of color who've been hit the hardest by this pandemic, um, they don't want to, they, they don't know where to go. You know, like there's a lot of racism in Western medicine and I really do understand that experiments like the Tuskegee trial and things like that really cause people pause. And I totally understand that. I just don't want anybody's life to be a casualty to history. I don't want people making decisions based on misinformation and on fear in my life. Making decisions based on misinformation and fear has never led me to the right you know, the right outcome. So I want the communities of color and communities that are most burdened by COVID that have the most to gain and who are experiencing COVID at the highest rates and also experiencing the most severe symptoms of COVID at, high, at the highest rates, be able to have access to this technology. And honestly, because I just don't want to see any more people dying. I don't you know, I just don't want people to wait because honest, the vaccine, there is there is not an um, abundant supply of it. So if they're offering it to you, take it. You know, it might not be there when you want it. Mm-hmm. What about this statement? I already got COVID, so will I be immune enough? This is a good one. You do have immunity when you, are, when you get COVID. So you're immune for about four to five months, um, but then your immunity wanes. Um, you're also only immune to the variant that you might have been exposed to, whereas the vaccine causes a higher level of immune response. That's what it's built for. The only thing we're introducing in is like, how can we get the most immune response for our for our effort, right? So you're going to have a higher immunity with the vaccine than you would with covid so you won't have to worry about getting the vaccine after you have COVID. You're not going to have like a hyperimmune response or anything like that. 
what we're asking people to wait three months just because of supply and demand. Um, but you don't, you honestly don't have to wait. You can get vaccinated and it'll be a much long lasting, effective immunity than you would get just from getting, from having COVID. What about I'm not getting the vaccine because it causes infertility? So this is a complete myth. And it stems, I guess, from a retired British doctor who used to work for Pfizer a decade ago, has not been there for a long time. Um, it stems from misinformation. So the idea is that there's a spike protein that the vaccine targets that can cause antibodies towards a protein called Synctin-1, which is used for placental attachment. But these proteins are actually very structurally dissimilar. So I, this is a complete myth. In the vaccine trials, there were pregnancies that occurred. Um, and it's. I think there's a really important thing here, which is just like, there's a risk about doing nothing. We talk about the risk of getting vaccines, but we have to also talk about the risk of doing nothing and not getting vaccine, not getting vaccinated in the middle of a pandemic. Would you be okay if you gave COVID to someone not realizing you had it, who then died from it? Would you be okay with getting COVID yourself and being a COVID long hauler? How would that impact your family? So Definitely, there's something to think about when you think about risk-benefit ratio is what is the risk of doing nothing. Absolutely. Um, another one, one last one. I'm breastfeeding or pregnant and there has not been enough data collected so that I can safely, you know, get the vaccine. I think you talked about there were pregnancies, but um, that was more around fertility. I'm curious about how would you respond to that? So... The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has says the vaccine is safe in pregnancy. There's no documented risk to the fetus, no risk in animal studies from the COVID vaccination. There's a long, I will say there's a long tradition of excluding pregnant women from clinical trials because of the FDA, because of safety, the FDA doesn't allow it. But vaccines in pregnancy, unless it's a live virus, have been considered safe without all these rigorous clinical trials, which is why we would say that COVID vaccination is safe in pregnancy. I will say that there is a risk to doing nothing, that pregnant women are five times more likely to end up in the ICU from severe COVID illness if they do catch COVID. And that's because pregnant women have lowered immune systems. So they're considered high risk. And in that situation, you have to think about the risk and the benefit, the risk of doing nothing versus the risk of vaccinating. Many people have ended up on the side of vaccinating pregnant women. ask a couple questions about where the future of this is. Obviously, we don't know. It could be another year. It could be another couple years given this new strain um, that they say is more severe and more contagious. Um, things are developing literally every day. Um, but what is considered herd immunity and, and how soon do you think we can reach it? Uh, obviously, if, if folks um, do get vaccinated, and I assume a lot of them will be sick and then can still get vaccinated. 
So curious on your perspective. So herd immunity is when we have about, and I've heard different numbers for this, as I'm sure you have as well, but 80% of people are either immune um, from getting previous COVID or immune because of the vaccine, that the virus then just dies out because there's no host. So if it gets to someone, it can't go anywhere else because everyone surrounding that person is immune. So that's what we hope for with this vaccination, that we can reach herd immunity faster. Some people have advocated to just like let everyone go out and, you know, don't worry about masks and don't worry about social distancing. We'll just get to herd immunity. But that means millions of people would die. What we're trying to do with the vaccination is achieve herd immunity without millions of people dying. So we can safely go back to a level of normalcy where we don't have to wear masks, where we can gather again in crowds, where we can be together, where we can hug our older people in our lives without worrying. So that's that's the hope. And that's why we all talk about herd immunity and wanting to reach it as fast as possible because we want to come back to a level of intimacy and connection and and normalcy in that way. How soon can we reach it? It really depends on if people are willing to get vaccinated and how fast they're willing to get vaccinated. The more that a virus travels around, the more it has the opportunity to mutate. And that's what we're seeing, all these new variants and mutations. It's because It's traveling so fast and so furiously through our population. If we could cut that speed down by not letting the virus move, we wouldn't have to worry about mutations like that. Um, So, you know, we don't know how often we'd have to get vaccinated against COVID, but the hope is that once we can curb the level of transmission and the speed at which it's racing through our communities, we wouldn't have to worry so much about mutations and variants. Well, I feel like there's still so much debate um, on the vaccine, so much um, weariness. And I do know, you know, we're in conversation on the eve of the protests that happened at Dodger Stadium, the shutdown, a whole vaccine operation. And and these were, I um, mean, you're in Los Angeles, um, Neelam, and um, what you were just telling me is that these were folks that are Trump supporters, and right-wingers, and there is some sort of like some level of ideological line that I think folks are falling on in in this moment around this particular vaccine. Um, not to say that everybody's on that side, obviously. I'm curious if you can say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, when you look at who is the leaders of the anti-vax movement right now, who's vocal and out there, they were the same people who stormed the Capitol recently. They have like Proud Boys as their security. These are people with an agenda. And I really want folks who are listening to think about that in terms of you know, are these the people that should be making decisions about your health? And do they have your safety and your wellness in mind um, when they tell you not to take these vaccines? They're the same people who like, who think COVID is a hoax and um, who are rabid white supremacists. 
So I just, I want us to be really cautious and really critical about the messages that we get, understanding who they're, who we're getting them from, um, and really making decisions about our health with that in mind. Um, I, I really want us to think about our communities. When the pandemic first started, the message that I was giving and getting was that the best way that we could take care of each other was to stay home. And I still think that's true, but I now would say that the best way for us to take care of each other is to get this vaccine. Um, I would hate for my decision to not get the vaccine to cause someone else to suffer. And I, so I do think that we need to think about this as our community, because honestly, it's this community that's going to create immunity um, is when we all, when we all do it. That's, that's the way this vaccine works. We want to thank Dr. Neelam Pathakonda for such valuable information on today's episode. We encourage you to stay informed about the COVID-19 vaccine, look up ingredients, read about side effects or allergies, and how the new variants are developing. But most importantly, we encourage you to take care of yourself in this process. Breathe it out and take one day at a time in the midst of what feels like a long and sometimes endless road. For a Mystica Medicina today, I want to share a healing bath that was shared with us by Manuel Arciniegas, Season 1. The bath is to stabilize, balance, and soothe your spirit and aura and be in harmony with the divinity of nature. All you have to do is get a gallon's worth of water and pour it into a bucket or a big bowl. Water is a portal for spirit. Water is 60% of the body and 70% of the planet. Also, get a bunch of fresh basil. You can get two, three, four, five bunches. A powerful cooling plant. Basil has a lot of benefits, but one of them is that it is a cooling plant. It brings coolness. As you prepare for your bath, begin to channel your intentions. If possible, light a candle to eliminate the path of your ancestors or the ancestors that you revere or your guiding spirits that protect you. Take the leaves from the stalks or the stems and put them into the water, ensure that they are submerged and wet. Then you go back into the water, grab the bunches of basil and begin to scrub between your hands, the basil, with both hands, to release the essence of the basil plant into the water. When the water is silky from the scrubbing, take your bath. You probably won't have to scrub more than 10 to 15 minutes, and then the water will become pretty silky. You can go longer, of course, if you want to pray longer into the water, into the basil, and the essence of it all. As you bathe, again, continue to be in a meditative state. Continue to pray for the coolness that you desire. 
the soothing that you desire and the balance that you want to be in with nature and with everything around you. For a longer version of this offering, check out episode one of season one by Manuel Arcinegas. La Cura is a donor-supported free resource. To continue our work and ensure we launch another season and many more after that, we are raising $5,000 by May 25th. I know we can do it together. Can you pitch in and make sure we continue our journey at the intersections of health, healing, and collective transformation? Thank you in advance for your support. We'll send you virtual offerings in our donors-only newsletter to support your journey in your communities. Join me at migente.net forward slash la cura. This podcast is hosted and produced by me and edited by Lourdes Hernandez. Big thank you to Phil Circus for his ongoing guidance on production and editing. Much love to Migente and Casa Blues, Maya Escobar and Nicolas Rubio for our new beautiful branding for La Cura. And big ups to Luis Michael Diaz III for new beautiful graphics for La Cura Podcast. <laughs>